We've got these fascinating nerves called cranial nerves that are absolutely vital. They provide us with the basic senses we use on a daily basis. They enable us to maintain our balance and even make expressions with our face, like that quizzical look you might have on your face when your kid or younger relative tells you a poorly formed joke. You know, whatever expressions you might need to make. Let's go a little bit further in this episode and learn about what they are called, where they come from, and what they do, what function they perform for us. Hello there, this is Seth Jump, your professor for Anatomy on the Go. Happy New Year. By the time this episode goes live, we're we're approaching a few weeks into the new year, so hope things are going well for you so far. Make sure to head over to anatomyonthego.com. There you can sign up and get a free ebook, Preparing to Ace Anatomy. It'll come almost instantaneously, say that five times fast, or maybe even once fast, to your inbox. Uh, So just a, a few taps, clicks, and it'll come right to you. You'll also get a few additional freebies a bit later, so uh, stay tuned to your inbox. It's the new year, and because of that, it's time for some reshuffling with the podcast and uh, with Anatomy on the Go, so I'll let you know about that, uh, how, how that's going to look here soon. Uh, but today's episode is going to dive uh, really deep into the nitty-gritty of these cranial nerves. We'll start with a little overview and then go deeper from there. So let's go ahead and get started. So here we go with a quick name review of the 12 cranial nerves. We have 12 pairs of these, and they are labeled with Roman numerals, and they also have a a specific name to the Roman numerals 1 through 12. So cranial nerve 1 is the olfactory nerve, cranial nerve 2, optic nerve, cranial nerve 3, oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve 4 is the trochlear nerve, cranial nerve 5, trigeminal nerve, cranial nerve 6, abducens nerve, Cranial nerve 7, that's the facial nerve. Number 8 is vestibulocochlear nerve. Cranial nerve 9, glossopharyngeal nerve. Cranial nerve 10, vagus nerve. 11, accessory nerve. And 12 is the hypoglossal nerve. Now, how is what's the best way to remember these? How, or how do you remember these? Well, of course, do what's best for you and your own brain. But what I recommend is that you use a mnemonic device. Use the first letter of each nerve to make a phrase, a mini story that you'll remember. So something like OOO to taste as food, very good, very awesome hash browns. Uh, You can use that one if you want. Super, super dorky, I realize. So what I'm doing there is the first letter of each word corresponds to the first letter of each cranial nerve. So if we go back to the really dorky mnemonic for a second, O-O-O, to taste as food, that corresponds to olfactory, optic, ocular motor, trochlear, trigeminal, abducens, facial. You get the idea. And hash browns is one word. But of course, you'll probably want to move on from that dorky one. And what you really ought to do is make your own, and it's probably better and more effective if you make it naughty, weird, personal, strange, rhymey. Now, since I told uh, 
told the podcast Ecosphere that my podcast is a clean one, I'll let you do that yourself. The mnemonic device I use to learn the cranial nerves is in fact a little bit naughty, and I still use it. Although as I chat here, I do remember that I shared a relatively naughty mnemonic about the carpal bones. Well, really, it's actually more innuendo than anything, but with any innuendo, you know what's going on, what's really meant, of course. Anyway, I believe I've said both naughty and innuendo enough for today, so back to anatomy. Let's go through these nerves one at a time. So here we go with olfactory nerve. And for these nerves, we'll talk about whether the nerve has a sensory component, a motor component, and or an autonomic component. And I'll explain a little bit further for each one of these as we go along. So the olfactory nerve is only a sensory cranial nerve. It uses sensory receptors, which are are technically bipolar neurons. And basically, we have little tiny chemical particles bind to these receptors in the nasal cavity. And then neural signals are conducted to the brain. Basically, these axons are situated inferior to the cribriform plate of the ethmoid bone uh, within the skull. There's a synapse at the olfactory bulb, which is just on top of the cribriform plate. Then what happens is that information is conducted back to the cerebral cortex. And as you know from the brain podcast, our brain learns and associates what different smells are. So like other cranial nerves, what's happening here is we have the original stimulus is being converted into an electrical signal that the brain can use or the central nervous system can use and understand. Now, with each of these nerves, we'll talk about what happens if uh, the cranial nerve does not work and so maybe a few things that could, would cause it not to work. But in the case of cranial nerve 1, if it doesn't work, we have a condition called anosmia, which is the loss of smell uh, when cranial nerve 1 does not work. So that's cranial nerve 1 for you. Let's move on to cranial nerve 2. This is the optic nerve. It is like cranial nerve 1, only a sensory cranial nerve. So the signal of light the stimulus of light hits the retina, and there we have signal transduction. That electrical information then is passed through the optic nerve. It crosses over the optic chiasm, which is a crossing point, a crossover point. Left goes to the right, right goes to the left. Then that information travels through the optic tracts and then through projection axons. And ultimately, the purpose is to go back to the occipital lobe. And so we have a, an original stimulus of light coming from all kinds of different objects that, were, that are in our field of view. And then that information is ultimately an electrical signal back to the occipital lobe where we integrate that information, understand what, what we're actually seeing based on memories, based on the information that we already have in our brain. So when this nerve doesn't work, there's anopsia, which is a defect in vision. And this could have various causes, including uh, a tumor in the brain is one potential cause of this. Cranial nerve 3, oculomotor nerve, from uh, the, the root words here, oculus for eye, and then motor indicates movement. So it arises in the midbrain, and this nerve actually has a somatic motor function, so different than cranial nerves 1 and 2 here. It also has an autonomic motor function, parasympathetic nervous system, that is. 
Its somatic motor function is the innervation of four extrinsic eye muscles. It tells them to contract. And these muscles are medial rectus, superior rectus, inferior rectus, and inferior oblique. Now remember, when we see the word rectus, that means the muscle is straight, has straight muscle fibers. Oblique means the fibers are at an angle. And these muscles do various things, including moving the eye toward midline, moving it away from midline, and we could talk about them in more detail in another podcast. Now, another muscle innervator here is the levator palpebris superioris. This muscle is responsible for elevating the eyelid. So now, ocular motor, what happens if there's some sort of damage to the nerve and it doesn't work properly? We could have ptosis, which is eyelid droop. We could have potential paralysis of eye muscles, strabismus, which is when the eyes are not coordinated, not parallel, we have improper deviation. We can have diplopia, double vision, and difficulty focusing. Now think about how important it is for these muscles to be coordinated, to work properly when you're following any sort of object around a room or you're playing a sport. Um, if, if these aren't coordinated, they're not working properly, you're, you're going to have a really difficult time following an object. So it's, it's highly important for this nerve to be working. Now for cranial nerve 3, we also need to talk about pupillary constriction, dilation, etc., but primarily constriction in this case. So in addition to the somatic motor function, cranial nerve 3 also has an autonomic function. The nerve innervates the sphincter pupillae muscle, and which causes the pupil to constrict. So this is a parasympathetic response, right? Rest and digest. Sympathetic responses for the eye go in the other direction. Dilation of the pupil, fight or flight. You have to take in more information, more visual information. And we'll come back to this particular aspect, the sympathetic of the eye and innervation too. But in addition to pupillary constriction, another thing that is controlled by cranial nerve 3 is to contract the ciliary muscles to make the lens of the eye more spherical. Now, this is accommodation. It enables us to see things closer for near vision. And so we'll have another podcast related to the function of the eye and We'll talk about refraction, bending of light. But just for for the sake of this podcast, know that cranial nerve 3 has somatic motor control of these extrinsic eye muscles. And it's also controlling uh, muscles that are related to constriction of the pupil as well as uh, accommodation for near vision. So we are chugging right along. We've talked about cranial nerve 1, olfactory, cranial nerve 2, optic, and cranial nerve 3, ocular motor nerve. Now let's move on to the trochlear nerve. So the root of the word comes from Latin for pulley. And so like many other cranial nerves, it originates from the midbrain. Uh, So lots of cranial nerves come from the brainstem. This is one part of the brainstem, of course, the midbrain that is. It goes right through a structure called the superior orbital fissure. And that's adjacent to uh, the orbit where the eyeballs sit. It's, it's just in control of one eye muscle. So it has only a motor function, no sensory or autonomic function. And that muscle that it innervates is called the superior oblique muscle. This muscle is responsible for moving the eye inferiorly and laterally. 
almost like rolling it to the side and then down. You can visualize it that way. So therefore, when this nerve is damaged, the superior oblique does not work properly, and so we will have strabismus as well as diplopia. Now let's move on to cranial nerve 5, trigeminal nerve. This comes from uh, the, the root of Gemini or Geminis for twins. In this case, tri refers to three. So we have three different actually branches of the trigeminal nerve. And we'll talk about these here in just a moment. But this one comes, this nerve, trigeminal nerve, comes from the pawns. It has a sensory and a motor function, but it does not have an autonomic function. So the three divisions of this nerve are ophthalmic, maxillary, and mandibular. Ophthalmic is uh, V1, maxillary is V2, and mandibular is V3. In general, what this nerve does is provide sensory input for the face, oral and nasal cavities, meninges, scalp, and motor innervation for the muscles of mastication, which are the muscles of chewing. So let's first start with the sensory and then work our way from there. So for V1 of trigeminal nerve, uh, the sensory is related to the cornea, nose, anterior scalp, forehead, and meninges. For V2, we're talking about an innervation for sensory of nasal mucosa, gums, palate, cheek, meninges. And for V3, we're talking about anterior two-thirds of the tongue. And now while we're on this, what about the posterior one-third? That would be cranial nerve 9, glossopharyngeal. Uh, innervation of V3 also is skin of the chin, lower jaw, lower teeth, and meninges. So note V1, V2, V3, all meningeal innervation for sensory. Now motor for V3, that's the muscles of mastication. So the muscles we're talking about are temporalis, masseter, lateral meteoropterygoids, etc. Now what about a path of these, these nerves? It's kind of complex. It starts to be complex for, for a trigeminal nerve. They come from the pons. Uh, first sensory heading back to the pons. Now V1 going into the cranium through the superior orbital fissure. V2 enters the cranium through the foramen rotundum. And then V3, these axons leave the pons and go through the foramen ovale to supply all these muscles of mastication for the motor component. Now when there's inflammation of these different divisions, primarily sensory, there can be intense pain. And with respect to motor, V3 in particular, there can be paralysis of the muscles of mastication. Now, following a trigeminal, it's nice that abducens is pretty straightforward and easy. This nerve, uh, cranial nerve 6, only has a motor function, no sensory function, no autonomic function. Now, if you look at the name of this nerve, the word makes you think of the term abduction, right? Uh, it's intentionally named for that reason. The nerve innervates the muscle responsible for abduction of the eye. The muscle that it innervates is called the lateral rectus. Now, when this muscle contracts, it pulls the eye away from midline, pulls the eye laterally. It abducts the eye. Now, this nerve comes from the pons, and like a few other nerves, it leaves the skull through the superior orbital fissure, a relatively large opening near the orbit, which houses the eyeballs, houses the eyes. Uh, if the nerve uh, fails or is damaged, the patient will have double vision because of the inability to focus it to track objects appropriately in the field of vision. Cranial nerve 7, facial nerve. This nerve has the trifecta, if you will, sensory, motor, and autonomic functions. Now think of structures on the face, muscles that enable you to smile, give someone a skeptical look, and others. And also some sp supporting structures like the tear gland, salivary glands. 
Now, for facial, taste from the answer to the two-thirds of the tongue is uh, responsible, is uh, enabled by the facial nerve. Uh, so that's the sensory function. Uh, it has major branches, and these are temporal, zygomatic, buccal, mandibular, and cervical. With respect to the different pathways, nitty-gritty details, that is, we'll come back to this in a later podcast. So let's talk about motor function for the facial nerve here first. So some of the muscles that it innervates are orbicularis oculi, orbicularis oris, mentalis. So orbicularis, when you see that, it, it means that the muscle circles something. So in this case, orbicularis oculi is circling around the, the eye. Orbicularis oris is around the mouth. And we have various muscles in the face that are innervated by uh, uh, cranial nerve 7 and enable facial expression. Now, orbicularis uh, oris, for example, is allowing us to purse our lips to pucker up uh, when we contract that muscle. So all kinds of muscles that are innervated by the facial nerve. Those are just a few that I've mentioned uh, for for today's podcast. Now, sensory, as mentioned before, is the anterior aspect of the tongue, and we have taste from there. Now, lastly, the autonomic function of cranial nerve 7 facial nerve. The purpose of the autonomic function is to enhance the secretions from the lacrimal gland, which is the tear gland, as well as the submandibular and sublingual salivary glands. So of course when you uh, eat a bite of food, eating a breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or a snack, you're, you're going to uh, have salivation, and that, that entire effect is mediated by uh, cranial nerve 7 through both sublingual, submandibular glands. We also have another salivary gland that we'll chat about here briefly in a few minutes, parotid gland 2. Uh, so that's the autonomic function. Now, what about the pathway of the facial nerve? Like most of the cranial nerves, we're talking about an origin in the brainstem, in this case, the pons. Now, the motor component, what it does is it passes through a structure called the internal acoustic meatus, and then it heads out to the muscles of facial expression through a structure called the stylomastoid foramen. And so this is adjacent to the mastoid process and the styloid process, and we call it the stylomastoid foramen. The structure is nice because it, it tells you where it is. Now, the sensory then brings information back to the central nervous system. There's a small fissure in the temporal bone. And it provides that sensory taste input. And then lastly, the autonomic aspect of the facial nerve leaves the pons, traverses to the internal acoustic meatus, and ultimately the final target will be the salivary glands or the tear gland. Now, conditions related to damage to this nerve include dry eyes. That makes sense because the tear gland isn't working. Dry mouth because the salivary glands aren't working properly. Loss of taste, sensory for the tongue. Um, Bell's palsy, which is paralysis of the facial muscles. There can be a droop at the corner of, of the mouth, for example. So moving right along, let's head on to cranial nerve 8 now, which is called vestibulocochlear nerve. This nerve, cranial nerve 8, is a sensory nerve. Now here the name tells you that the nerve is involved with the vestibule, which is balanced in equilibrium, and the cochlea, which is the way we hear. Two branches of this vestibulocochlear nerve vestibular branch. We'll start with the vestibular branch of the nerve. So the case is that there are specialized hair cells in the vestibule of the ear. And what they do is they transduce signals about how our body is oriented in space. And then we adjust to that orientation. We adjust our body position, etc. The cochlear branch relates to the cochlea of the inner ear. 
It relates to the mechanism of hearing. There are fluid shifts that occur in the cochlea that enable us to hear, starting with the movement of the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. And of course, we have to vibrate the membrane that gets those ear ossicles to move as well. So in a later podcast, we'll talk about the mechanism of hearing too. Uh, But both branches of this nerve travel through the internal acoustic meatus, and either one of these branches can be damaged. Damage to the vestibular branch will result in imbalances, dizziness, nausea, disorientation, vomiting, and then damage to the cochlear branch will lead to a loss of hearing. Glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve 9. This nerve has a sensory component, a motor component, and a parasympathetic component. Uh, like cranial nerve 7. In general, we're talking about sensory, taste and touch from the posterior part of the tongue, innervation of a muscle of the pharynx, and innervation of the parotid gland. So we already talked about the other salivary glands, sublingual and submandibular, and now it's time for the parotid. Let's dive a little bit deeper here with this nerve. So let's add a little bit more detail for sensory to start. Um, so uh, innervation of the tongue for taste and sensation uh, sensation of the pharynx as well. And, and remember that pharynx is just simply the fancy word for the throat. There's also an innervation of the chemoreceptors. And what these do is they're responsible for monitoring carbon dioxide and oxygen levels in the blood. These levels then determine the respiratory rate that we need to have to make these um, these levels at homeostasis and the levels that we need for proper functioning of the body. Now, cranial nerve 9 is responsible for control of the stylopharyngeus muscle. Now, the stylopharyngeus is a muscle that, of course, does not come up in everyday conversation uh, so much. But basically, it's responsible for elevating the larynx and pharynx, which is essentially dilating the throat, which therefore enables us to swallow. Now, cranial nerve 9 also promotes secretion of the parotid gland, so that's the autonomic function. Now, let's do a little uh, pathway overview for this. It's hard to know exactly how much information to bring on the pathways, but it does help for kind of context. So, uh, sensory nerves come from the tongue and carotid bodies, and those key chemoreceptors. Motor axons, like so many nerves mentioned, arise from the medulla oblongata, Both sensory and motor are traveling through the jugular foramen, a relatively large opening at the base inferior surface of the skull. Parasympathetic axons go to a structure called the otic ganglion and then on to the parotid gland. Now, what about damage to this nerve? If if cranial nerve 9 is damaged in some way, shape, or form, what functions are going to be compromised? So we're going to have dry mouth. Uh, in all likelihood, because we're compromising the parotid gland, salivary gland. Uh, we're also going to lose taste sensation because it controls an aspect of, of uh, tongue taste. We're also going to have uh, difficulty swallowing, right? Because we're going to affect the function of the stylopharyngeus muscle, which is responsible for dilating the throat and enable us to swallow. Here we go with cranial nerve 10, the vagus nerve which is a big deal, honestly. And it's, it's really kind of my favorite nerve, which is, I realize, an incredibly dorky thing to say. It's the wanderer of the body, the vagabond. It, it goes all over the place in the thoracic and abdominal cavities. It has sensory, motor, and parasympathetic functions. It innervates smooth muscle within organs. It innervates the heart, lungs, the pharynx and larynx, the trachea, abdominal organs, 
and it's integral in swallowing. For the heart, for example, the purpose of the vagus nerve is to put the brakes on the heart rate, to slow down the heart, fewer beats per minute. So this is parasympathetic, rest and digest, bring the heart rate down. Other innervation for the vagus nerve, uh, it innervates smooth muscle and other parts of the thorax and abdominal cavities. The purpose is to control smooth muscle contraction. Now, given its innervation in the abdominal viscera, for example, it's important to, um, in the process of peristalsis, which is helping to propel food through the abdominal viscera. So overall, then, the vagus nerve is wandering around. We're talking about innervation of thoracic abdominal uh, cavities as well as the throat, uh, integral and in swallowing as well. Now, damage to this nerve leads to a whole host of laryngeal problems, hoarseness, loss of voice. In addition, given, to, given its innervation, it's gonna have, we're going to have a problem with the heart. We're going to have a, a problem with the abdominal viscera. The vagus nerve is incredibly important and controls so many different aspects and functions within the human body. Let's do a quick overview of the pathway. It's going to, motor nuclei are in the medulla oblongata, in the brainstem. It's going to leave the cranium through the jugular foramen, like other nerves. The motor neurons are headed out to targets, and then, of course, sensory neurons are headed back in for processing, so to speak. Now, damage to this nerve is going to lead to a whole host of laryngeal problems, uh, hoarseness, loss of voice, difficulty with uh, parasympathetic control of the heart, uh, difficulty with proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract, um, peristalsis, etc. All kinds of uh, issues would re- relate to uh, difficulty or problems with the vagus nerve. Cranial nerve 11, accessory nerve. Only motor for this nerve, only a motor function. No sensory, no autonomic. What it does is it innervates the trapezius muscle and the sternocleidomastoid muscle. Now, technically, this nerve actually has a cranial root and a spinal root. The cranial root arises from a nucleus in the medulla oblongata, and then the spinal root arises from motor nuclei in the spinal cord. The spinal nerve travels north, superiorly that is. It goes to the foramen magnum. It then merges with the cranial root, and they both leave through the jugular foramen. Once outside the skull, the cranial root travels with cranial nerve 10, the vagus, to innervate pharyngeal muscles. Now, the spinal root then innervates the trapezius and the sternocleidomastoid muscles. If there are problems with this nerve, lesions, damage, etc., there'll be problems with uh, elevating the shoulder and also with problems uh, turning the head, given the actions of these two muscles, the trapezius for elevation of the shoulder and turning the head for the sternocleidomastoid muscle. All right, congratulations. Last cranial nerve, hypoglossal nerve, cranial nerve 12. Only a motor function for this nerve. Uh, it innervates the tongue. And so where this nerve is, arises, where it starts, is in the medulla oblongata. It leaves the skull through an opening called the hypoglossal canal. So that's convenient, right? And if there's a problem with this nerve, damage, etc., there's impaired tongue movement. And therefore, as a result of that impaired tongue movement, difficulty swallowing and speech because the tongue won't move as it is supposed to move. Okay, there you go with the deeper dive into the cranial nerves. Let's test your knowledge. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to uh, give a little description, and you're going to name the cranial nerve that's being described. So provide the name as well as the uh, Roman numeral assignment for the name of the nerve, the cranial nerve being described. So let's start with number one. This particular cranial nerve serves one eye muscle, the lateral rectus, which abducts the eye. 
And so for that one, you would say abducens nerve, which is cranial nerve six. Number two, this nerve has a cochlear branch and a vestibular branch, and it travels through the internal acoustic meatus. So for that one, you'd say vestibular cochlear nerve, that's cranial nerve eight. Number three, muscles like the masseter and the temporalis are innervated by this nerve, and damage to this nerve also causes sensory deficits uh, related to the forehead and even as deep as the meninges. So for this one, you would say trigeminal nerve, cranial nerve five, and of course, V3 would be the muscular innervation. Number four, this nerve helps us see objects that are close to us and enable us to move our eyeball to focus on objects that are moving in front of us. So this one is describing oculomotor nerve, that's cranial nerve three. Number five, damage to this nerve would compromise a person's ability to shrug their shoulders in response to a question they don't know or don't care about. So that would be accessory nerve, and that's cranial nerve 11. Well, thanks for joining me today. That is all for today's episode. Hope this episode has given you a little bit more detail into the cranial nerves beyond which we've seen in or heard in previous episodes. Feel free to drop me a line at seth at anatomyonthego.com. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming podcast, I'll add that to the queue. I do have some podcasts in mind that I'm going to roll out here uh, through early 2022, and I'll let you know about any reshuffling that I'm, I'm going to be doing and any things I'd like to, to add that I'll, I'll tell you about. So until that next episode drops, all the very best. Good luck with your studying. I'll see you later.